At this point in our service, we'll turn to the reading and teaching of God's word. My lovely wife, Erica, will be reading our text this morning, and then our senior pastor, Reverend Dan McDonald, will be delivering the message. Our reading today is from Isaiah 9, verses 2, 6, and 7. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is... Well, good morning. We are, uh, we are live and I'm glad to see you. We are entering a Christmas unlike anything we have ever experienced here. A COVID Christmas. What is clear from our culture is that, well, people are pretty discouraged, pretty disconsolate at this moment. I know I am personally as discouraged as I can remember. Our culture is tired, divided, fractured. The economy, well, it's a mess. The virus is a menace. It's a bad time. Songwriter Don McLean, looking back on a similarly chaotic and anxious time in our culture's history, the 1960s, wrote a song, a fairly famous, now iconic song, that captured his poignant emotions, but emotions many of us feel today. The last verse, the climactic verse of that song, American Pie, goes like this. And in the streets the children screamed, the lovers cried, and the poets dreamed. But not a word was spoken, the church bells all were broken. And the three men I admire most, the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, they caught the last train for the coast the day the music died. That song is old, but those feelings are very, very fresh. Many of us feel right now as we're living in a day when the music died. It's a dark time. You and me, we're sad, we're tired, we're down. Even those of us here who are Christians feel a little bit like the song that the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost have caught the last plane for the coast. We could use a little hope. Actually, we could use a lot of hope right now. And so it's here in this prophecy written 700 years before the birth of Jesus that the story of Christmas feeds our soul like little else can right now because in these verses... If they are true, and they are, they mean at least three things to us that we can feed upon. Firstly, we have a certain hope. Secondly, we have a beautiful hope. And thirdly, we have an everlasting, undying, unshakable hope. There is no day, say these verses, that the the music of the gospel ever dies. Because there is one who came and himself did die for us, so that a new music may be born in us, a new song may arise in our hearts that never dies. Because our hope is certain, 
beautiful and everlasting, there is a new song that never dies. A certain hope. Let's look at the first verse that was read, verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. That's in the past tense. The light has shone. But now note in verse 6, the tense changes to the present. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And then it keeps going into the future tense. It says the government will be or shall be upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called. There's something very illogical about this set of verses. Because it, it says that something has happened, is happening, and will happen. And treats them all as the same thing. What's going on here? How can something be described as both past, present, and future? Well, the first clue we have is that Matthew chapter 4, looking back on the life of Jesus, quotes these verses as actually physically coming true in the life of Jesus. It says a light has shined in the darkness. That what was written 740, 720 years before Jesus' birth actually came true in his life and ministry. So how do we understand this past, present, and future? I think Edward Young, one of the foremost Old Testament scholars on the book of Isaiah, I think he gets it right when he calls this the prophetic perfect. It is, Young says, as if the writer Isaiah, standing in the place of God, is describing events that are future as if they've already happened. God is saying, that which is future to the people then is so certain that it can be considered a past reality, a present reality, even though it's a future thing to happen. Such is this certainty. God is saying through Isaiah that you as a people may be walking in darkness now, and Israel indeed was. The Assyrian conquest had already taken off most of northern Israel, and the Babylonian conquest awaited the southern part. You may be going through such darkness now, but my promises of deliverance, my promises of future grace are so true. My promises of a coming king are so certain, so timelessly certain, that you can have the same trust in them as if they just happened. And that is what the gospel says Christmas is about. It's about a certainty of hope. Hope here promised God's promises of a Savior, of a light to shine in the darkness, were so sure, are so sure, will be so sure, that you can trust as if they just happened to you. And of course the gospel says they did. A man named Jesus came into history and literally, personally fulfilled these words precisely, as we're about to see. They were certain. God, the sovereign God of the universe, had planned from before the foundation of the earth to send Jesus, to send a certain hope into this world. And Jesus had agreed to do that. Marvelous certainty. It was certain. God had planned it to be so. God made sure it was so. We have a certain hope in Christmas. Implications. If you're here and you're investigating or uh, interested in Christianity, I want you to think about this. This is what Christmas means, that there is a hope so certain you can depend on it as if it had just happened to you. 
Jesus came into history to prove these promises of God to be that certain God really does exist. People really are loved by him. Our, our lives, your life is not futile. Your faults are not fatal. Your death is not final. There is a certain hope for you in the gospel. If you will but embrace it. It is a certain hope. If you're here and you are a Christian, the certainty of the hope promised realized in Jesus should give you confidence that even in this dark day, the promises of God are for you and they are certain. When Jesus says in John chapter 6, all that the Father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me I will never cast out, it is certain. When the gospel says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Philippians chapter 1 verse 6. That is certain. You may not feel it. But it's not your emotions that rule. It's God's sovereignty that makes things so. Romans 8 verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For all creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Do you hear those words? Do you not feel the longing in us? But the glory will be revealed. It is certain. And finally, neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. These promises are as certain as certain can be. Because the truth about Christmas, proven in these passages come true 700 years later, is this. We have a certain hope. Secondly, we have a beautiful hope. The next verse, the one that goes from present to future, verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. What a beautiful person who is our hope. The hope of the world, say these verses, will come as a child. A simple child of a simple carpenter. A child born to a captive people, the Israelites. Born into a cruel age. The age of the Roman Empire, the Roman games, crucifixions. A cruel age. Here the author switching to the present tense, says this child will be given to us, a gift for us. His existence on earth is something we don't deserve. It's a gift. Why? Why can any human be a gift to us? Because of who that human is. He's not some normal human being. The rest rest of the description makes it clear. The government shall be upon his shoulders, the government of the world, a world ruler, He'll be a wonderful counselor. The the Hebrew word, one who gives wise counsel, means he's filled with unimaginable wisdom. He can be trusted in all that he says. He can be followed in all of his instructions. He's not just wise. He's perfectly, wonderfully wise. He's to be followed because he's so wise. But more than that, he's, he's mighty God. Everlasting 
Father. I mean, these words can only be applied to God. There is a human who's going to come, and he's going to be God in human flesh. An extraordinary beauty in this person. But as we know, it's not a beauty that's physical. It's a beauty, it's a light that's spiritual, that's deeper and more important and more lasting than just physical beauty. Because when Isaiah says in the very first part of this passage, the people walking in darkness, he doesn't mean physical darkness of circumstances, although that is true. He means more than that. He also means moral darkness. Isaiah is saying that these people have been walking in ways of selfishness, self-actualization, cruel oppression of others for personal gain. They're leaving God's ways to further their own personal self-interest. They've been doing it for hundreds of years, actually. They've been setting up their own gods to feed their own wealth and their own comfort. This darkness is around them. They are a captive people in a cruel age, but it is also in them. There is a moral darkness in them that has created this kind of dark, dangerous, cruel world. And it is into this moral darkness that God himself comes into humanity as a vulnerable child. Who would think up such a plan to come in as a vulnerable child, subject to all the cruelties and vagaries of this dark time? But the gospel says this, God in Jesus Christ so loved us, he willingly made himself completely us, completely human. He entered into the depths of our darkness by entering into the depths of our humanity. He's not just any son. He's the eternal, perfect, holy son. But son he was. And that son is a gift given to us. The one whom the father said, this is my beloved son. The one in whom my soul delights. This is the one who said to his father at the end, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, he is given to us in such a unique way. He, he, he comes to us in the beginning at Christmas as a child born in a manger. He's come to live with us, to share life with us, to share in our troubles, experience our darkness, feel our weakness. He does that for us. He is God with us, communing voluntarily in our darkness and our danger and our trouble. He comes to us first as God with us in a manger. But he's finally given to us at the end, as a God for us, a scapegoat, hung on a cross, the glorious, mighty God of all things, comes as a child naked, crying and vulnerable, and leaves as a man bruised, bloodied, tortured, broken, naked again, stripped and hung like dead meat on a tree to be reviled and rejected by all You see, this ruler, this child, this son, this gift came to break the power, to break the reign of sin and evil and darkness that resides in us and not just around us. For the darkness in the world comes from the hearts of those of us who are in that world, you and me. The cruelty of the world Jesus faced came from the inner depths of the souls of the people that he faced. And Jesus knew 
before he became a child, that he would be treated this way. Before he became a child, he knew he would become a scapegoat. He knew he would become a falsely convicted criminal, tortured and nailed to a cross. In Galatians chapter 3, it says, verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Do you see? We weren't there. But we were there. Because the darkness in us is the darkness in them that hung him on a tree. Sin and evil are deeply embedded within every human being. And Jesus came to take the guilt and the evil and the anger God rightly feels about that evil and to bear the guilt of that as our scapegoat. I remember one of my last Christmases before I became a Christian, I was finishing up my undergrad at McGill. My parents had relocated from Montreal to Orangeville. I went there for Christmas. And I remember feeling very blue, very dark, very discouraged, And I listened to that song by Don McLean again about the day the music died. And I thought about my life. I'd marched in New York City for civil rights against nuclear arms. I'd gotten active in social justice for women's rights and black rights. I'd done what I thought I should do, but I still felt lost and empty. Everyone was home for Christmas and feeling happy. But I looked into my own soul and I saw the darkness. I saw that so much of what I did was for my own acclaim. I saw my own desire to use people for my own pleasure, to make myself a name at the expense of others. I felt suddenly disconnected from others and ashamed of myself. And I began to realize disconnected from whomever was running the universe. And I wrote my own poem after listening to that song and the last stanza, the last words of my poem are these, or a paraphrase of these. My world is in disarray, yet isn't it I who have gone astray? The truth, the life, the way have long since gone away from me. There was no peace in my soul because there was no peace with the God of my soul. There was no music in my soul because I'd wandered away from the God who gives that music to us. This is the backdrop of the hope of Christmas. The darkness is not just out there. It is in here. The gospel says the heart is filled with darkness. Jesus said out of the heart come evil thoughts, envy, slander, murder, murder, sexual immorality. The apostle Paul said all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And he said the wages of sin is death in Romans chapter 6. Here's the great truth of the beautiful hope of the gospel. That within a year, just over a year of me writing that poem... In the spring of my first year of law school, God, the the God who, quote-unquote, caught the last train for the coast, walked right into the doors of my life, took my sins, all of them, piled them up, and washed them away. And he put a new song in my mouth. 
You know, the first time I actually read the Bible for myself was in the library of law school when a Christian said, you know that band you like, you too? You know one of your favorite new songs? Here's where they got it from. And they took me to Psalm 40 where it says, I waited patiently for the Lord. And he inclined to me and heard my cry. He brought me up out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry clay, and he set my feet upon a rock made my footsteps sure, and put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. He didn't make the music die. He brought a new music into the depth of my soul, the music of grace, by making peace with God and me by moving the dividing wall between God and I, by taking the sin that blocked me from God and washing it away in the forgiveness He purchased at the cross. This is what Isaiah promises Jesus would do. A gift would be given. Jesus would end the enmity. He would pay the debt. He would remove the obstacles between me and God and put a new song in my mouth, a music that will never die. Not the music of self-glory and self-actualization. That was the music that made me pen that poem. That was the music that Don McLean said died. But no, an everlasting song that can never die. Certain it is. Beautiful it sounds. Implication skeptic, ask yourself just two questions. One, what kind of ruler would I submit to? I know the idea of a ruler feels wrong, but this describes a different kind of ruler. Do you enjoy the leadership your government is giving you? Some of us do at some levels, but we're all a little frustrated at least some of the time. But I know this. I don't think Justin Trudeau would die for me or send his son to die for me. Certainly don't think Premier Ford would. I don't think Joe Biden would. Don't even think Barack Obama would. Won't name the other one. You know where I'm going. But the God of the universe would for you. What kind of ruler would you submit to? Would you submit to a ruler who sent his son to die for you, to wash away your sin? If you can't submit to that kind of a ruler, what kind of ruler would you submit to? Jonathan Edwards, in speaking of the rule of Jesus and contrasting with the ruler, the rulers of this world, said, This is a king of the most unparalleled grace. Never was any kingdom ruled by a government so mild and gentle and gracious. Jesus is exceedingly gracious in the manner of his ruling his people by sweetly and powerfully influencing our hearts by his grace, not governing them against their wills, but powerfully inclining their wills to him. Do you hear that? Second question, not just what kind of ruler, but what kind of hope do you have? Do you have this kind of hope? Can you dare dream of a future where there's no pain, no evil, no death, no wrong, no tears, Do those lyrics even show up in your vocabulary or your imagination because those lyrics are part of the song of the gospel? The hope that lies before us. Christian, if you're here, I want you to think about this. It's easy to focus on the darkness around us. And it's, if you're a Christian, it's pretty easy to focus on on the darkness in us. Both can lead you 
to discouragement, disconsolation, and despair. They have led me there so many times this year. But I challenge you what I'm challenging myself, to focus not inward or outward, but focus upward on the beauty of your Savior. Take the rest of this month, read and meditate about Jesus. If you need scriptures, meditate on Colossians chapter 1. Meditate on Hebrews chapter 1. And meditate on John chapter 1. Let these three chapters be your food this month. Take a break from reading about the darkness. How many more COVID stories do you need? But read about the true light who's come into the world. Meditate about Jesus. Think about this. How long before Jesus became human did he know he was going to die for you and me? Because the answer is eternally. Meditate upon his life after he became human. Meditate on how alone he was, how rejected and misunderstood he was, and yet how he kept loving and loving and loving and loving despite a darkness around him so dark and so powerful, viscerally repellent to one who is God that he endured it for you and me. Meditate upon Jesus before he became human. Meditate on Jesus in his life. Now meditate upon Jesus in his death. What must he have felt to know that he was going to take all of the sin of you and me upon himself And feel the repudiation, as it were, the loving and yet just repudiation of his father who would turn himself away. What level of compassion must Jesus have for us to be willing to endure that for us? And meditate upon his rising. Because when he rose, he told all of us, beyond a shadow of a doubt, this hope is certain. I have conquered the grave. I have paid for your sin. I go to my Father. I prepare a place for you. Do that this Christmas. And maybe that song, the song of praise to our God, the song of grace and gratitude, will begin to sing in your heart again. And the sense that we live in the day the music has died will dim in your heart again. We have a certain hope. We have a beautiful hope. Finally, we have an everlasting hope. Verse 7 says, Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Do you hear that? It will be everlasting, this hope. The glory of Christmas, the hope of Christmas never ends. It's that the true king, the great king, the once and future king, the king that all earthly kings are modeled after and fall short of, Jesus, the true king, will take his throne and reign. And one day he will come back and he will extend his reign to every iota of the created order. He will make a new heaven and new earth. That's the glory of Christmas. The rain began with the first coming of Jesus as a child and then as a man. It was inaugurated in his life, his death, and his rising again. 
and is ascending into heaven. That's why Matthew, the gospel writer, after quoting Isaiah's verses in Matthew 4, has Jesus saying right away, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It has begun. It began in the life of Jesus. His victory over death, sin, and darkness happened at the cross and his resurrection. And now we await the day when he will consummate that victory by coming again. We do not experience the depth of this everlasting kingdom right now. We only have it partially in the new song that is in the hearts of those who have been freed from the guilt and the power of sin. The days of immortality are not upon us yet. But the beauty of Jesus is this. Wherever He is, He promises we will be with Him. He came to be with us, and then He left and said, you will come and be with me again eternally. So the incarnation means everything. He became like us so that we could be like Him. He became one with us so that we could be forever with Him. We too shall rise one day. Our perishable bodies will put on the imperishable. We will inherit perfect bodies to live in an inherited perfect world everlastingly. And so here then is the glorious everlastingness of Christmas. It is a certain hope. It is a beautiful hope. And it is a hope unending. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. Life with God in Christ Jesus. COVID cannot kill Christmas. One day COVID will be no more. But Christ has come and hope has arrived with him. And he shall never die, nor shall the hope he brings ever die. Nor shall the music we shall sing, that new song of peace and praise with God. That music will never die. If you are not yet a Christian, embrace the hope that is offered in the gift of God that is Christ Jesus. If you are a Christian, then I call you to enjoy the hope that is yours. City of Light has a song, Christ is mine forevermore. Let me read you one of the verses to end. Mine are tears in times of sorrow, darkness not yet understood. Though through the valley I must travel where I see no earthly good. But mine is peace that flows from heaven and the strength in times of need. I know my pain will not be wasted. Christ completes his work in me. Your hope, if you're a Christian, is certain. Your hope, if you're a Christian, is beautiful. Your hope, if you're a Christian, is unbreakable, unending, and everlasting. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, and I praise you for your goodness and your grace, and I thank you now for this time of Christmas where we can look away from the brokenness and the darkness in us and in the world and look to you. We praise you and thank you for that truth. In Christ's name, amen. I've got just a couple questions here. I'm going to answer them, and then we will uh, finish our service. The first question is, the creator of all that has made us with the purpose of his death so that his son, sorry, the creator of all that has made us with the purpose of the death of his son so we can glorify him. I do not deserve Jesus' death. This is very hard to understand. Amen.
I spent my life trying to understand how Jesus could die for me, how God could care for me enough to send Jesus to die for me, how God could love me enough to want me with him forever. It is indeed the great mystery of the universe. Ponder it, and your heart will be changed. Great, great point. Can you elaborate how God washed your sin away in your first year of law school? Well, the the same way he washes away the sin of every person who comes to personal faith in him. When you finally understand that this darkness is not just outside of you but inside of you and that you need grace and deliverance, and you realize the only person who can do that is Jesus, that he died to do that, and that he offers his death and his atonement, his scapegoating sacrifice for you as a gift. And you take it as a gift freely given, receive it freely and say, I believe you did this for me. He will wash away the sin of anyone. Ephesians chapter 2 says, By grace you have been saved through faith. This is a gift of God, not as a result of works or your own effort that no one should boast. All you need to do is trust in who Jesus is, and was, and what he did. And if you have that faith, you will be washed away. That's what I did. I prayed a prayer of faith. I said, Lord Jesus, I need you. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I open the door of my life and receive you as my Savior and Lord. Thank you for giving me eternal life. That's exactly the words I prayed. I've memorized that prayer now. And he did. He came in. And he can come in to anybody who wants to. Uh, Next question. Why do I need to take a jab at conservative politicians in a sermon? Hmm. Well, I actually took a jab at Joe Biden, Barack Obama, and Justin Trudeau, as well as Premier Ford. So I thought that was pretty good, three to one. But uh, you feel uh, like, well, let's not mention him, Donald Trump. Is it necessary to virtual signal to make the point? It makes it very distracting. That's a fair point. I probably shouldn't have said that. That was extemporaneous, and I apologize for distracting you. I have made my feelings about uh, people clear. The political stance of GTC, there is no political stance of GTC. The gospel critiques everyone. I have critiqued Justin Trudeau many times. I've critiqued Premier Ford many times. I'm sure I'm about to critique uh, Biden, and that's just me personally. I am not the, I am not the political stance of GTC. Uh, Grace Toronto Church is a gospel church, and we think the gospel critiques every political party, every president or prime minister. So I apologize for uh, distracting you. Um, But so many people have talked about Trump, I was not going to, and then I said something, and that's my bad. Regarding the increase of the government on his shoulders, what will governing look like in heaven where there's no sin, no dispute, and no rebellion? I don't know. I really don't. Great question. I look forward to finding out with you. Sounds like you have affection for Obama and won't say Trump's name. Is this not virtue signaling? Um, Okay, Uh, if you feel like I'm virtue signaling, that's fair. Uh, I am a social conservative. I'm an economic conservative. I am a um, a public policy liberal when it comes to spending money on mercy and justice. So I generally uh, have a lot of frustration with any government that piles up debt. So I'm frustrated with every single government, conservative or liberal, that I've seen in North America for the last 
decade. I have felt that they have underserved the poor with their money. Uh, so I am frustrated with every government conservative or liberal in the last decade that way. I'm a social conservative, and I don't know a single government that has um, done a great job of appreciating my stance on abortion or euthanasia. Uh, so uh, I'm critiquing all of them. I find myself, uh, if, if that, is that helpful? Uh, that's me. I'm not trying to virtue signal. I am simply saying that no government that I know of has a leader who will die for you, except one, God himself. It is a testimony to our politically raw moment that that comment of mine created such psychological noise. I apologize to those of you whose uh, moments are so raw, but I want you to think about that. If we're that divided about our politics, we need a better answer for government. We need to look away from human government because they've all disappointed and divided us. Obama was a very divisive president. I lived through it. So was Bush. I lived through that. So was Clinton. I was there when Nixon was impeached. We just live in days when governments disappoint us. We must look to the God who never disappoints us. Thank you for rebuking me and correcting me, I take that as fair comment. But now I want to take us to the cross. So let us pray together. Father, I thank you and I praise you for your goodness to us. I thank you for this time that we've been able to spend together. But I do pray that at this time of Christmas, we would find our hope in you. It is a certain hope. It is a beautiful hope. It is an everlasting hope. We love you and we praise you in Christ's name. Amen.